Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. This is Scott Guthrie. I'm the Infant Medical Director of the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast, brought to you by TIPQC. And I have a special treat for you with this episode. I've got one of our former neonatal intensive care unit graduates, Lazar. Lazar, do you want to tell everybody hello? Hey. <laughs> and I've got his parents with us. So this is going to be Chansey, Andre, and Lazar. And they're going to share their story about their time in the neonatal intensive care unit, which, guys, was exactly one year ago today, yeah. pretty much, correct? You were yeah. living this experience, so it's still fresh on your mind. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell everybody about your story. Tell us what happened in the neonatal intensive care unit and about Lazar and what was going on. Well, we got pregnant around end of June, July, and... It was a long journey from the start. We started off going to, I would say, three different doctor's appointments in the first month. And then we upped it to two times a week within the next two months. But how it started off was just extreme, extreme, extreme morning sickness, just all day. I couldn't hold anything down. The entire month of July, I was in the ER every single weekend getting fluid because I couldn't eat throughout the week and I was just getting too weak. And at one point I was actually admitted for a week and stayed in the cardiac wing so that I could be monitored because I was just becoming so weak being pregnant. I couldn't do anything. I was bedridden throughout the entire pregnancy. That last month was scary because at 20 weeks he stopped growing. And mm -hmm. we didn't understand why. They said something was going on with the placenta. It wasn't delivering enough blood and nutrients. And then we started seeing a rapid decline in my fluid. So there was a point when we delivered that I was at five milliliters of fluid. And I had had that for, I think, two, three weeks. And we had just been watching it really, really closely, trying to make sure everything was good. And he was still moving. But it was scary. Two weeks before Christmas... The doctor told us, okay, we'll go home this weekend and just pack a bag because we might want to take him a little early. We don't really know what's going to happen. So we said, okay, we're going to pack a bag. We went home. We're thinking, okay, it'll happen sometime next week. The one appointment that Monday that was different from every single appointment, because all of my appointments were in the morning, this one appointment was three o'clock in the afternoon. I wasn't allowed to eat. I wasn't allowed to do anything because we didn't know what was going to happen. And lo and behold, that day they said, okay, we're going to take him. It just happened. Like it, it was a rush of all types of emotions. We got him as far as we could or I could. And then we just had to give it to God and give it to the doctors and say, okay, well, if we take him, these are the risks. He could make it and he could not. He was little. Like, yeah, <laughs> he was little. Very little. Tell everybody how little he was. 
So when he was born, he was 513 grams. And if you don't know how much that is, that's a pound and one ounce. Yeah. I mean, that, for, to help everybody understand how small that is, when you go get your 16-ounce Coke, Lazar was just slightly bigger than your 16-ounce Coke that you're going to drink later. I mean, mind-boggling small. He was 27 weeks, so that certainly helped a little bit. He spent 87 days with us in our neonatal intensive care unit and went home exactly on his due date. Yes. But during that time, he had all kinds of things happen. He had breathing problems on the ventilator for three weeks. He had infections. He had a kidney infection. had to have a spinal tap. And just all kinds of things you were dealing with, that roller coaster of emotions. Tell me about that. So it was, I, I don't even know if I can explain it in words to make people understand without saying that you really just have to go through it to understand it. It happens really fast. And from day one, it's almost like everything changes. And it's not just because you had a baby, but it's also because you have a baby and you don't know what's going to happen and you have to make sure that everybody stays in the loop with COVID going on. Nobody was able to come in and it was me up there most of the times and dad up there. And so nobody able to see him or know the progress, having to communicate that on days where it's good on days where it's bad. It was hard going day to day. And one day we wake up and all of his numbers are great. And then by the end of the afternoon, he's having a transfusion and to one point where he had a transfusion and he ended up having an allergic reaction to the blood. And it was just so much. It's almost overwhelming. Overwhelming. Yeah. Thinking about yeah. it, it's all just rushing through my head. Like yeah. it's overwhelming to just yeah, think. I mean, for our audience, this is exactly a year. Lazar was in our neonatal intensive care unit and we were going through this. So this is still very, very fresh on your mind. You also had a pregnancy right before Lazar, if I remember right. Actually, the eight, nine months or so, you had some problems with that pregnancy. Would you mind sharing that with our audience and telling us what happened and how that even contributed to some of the, the things and emotions you were going through with him? Yeah. The first time we got pregnant was with our daughter, Naomi, and everything was normal the first few weeks of pregnancy. You know you're pregnant because smells are intense and you start you you start like feeling different it's like you know I mean women like we know when our body is changing you're going through all of that and it's exciting and I had really bad morning sickness with her as well but it was the kind of morning sickness that I was excited for because I was like I know what this means this is great I'm puking my brains out but I'm happy <laughs> so it was great until a few months in, I'd say around month three or four, when you start to actually get into the OBGYN when they see you and accept you. It didn't feel all the way right. The first visit was kind of the meet and greet, how it normally goes. And you go in and you tell them about your history and you let them know. And just as a background, I've been pregnant multiple times before this and never was able to carry past, I would say maybe like a month, two months. I was never able to get past those moments. So getting to month three and four was big for me. So telling them like, this is my past history. This is what I've been through. Letting them know, okay, I don't know why this stuff happens, but it happens. And they're okay, well, we'll keep looking and telling you the normal stuff. And then all of a sudden I started gaining 
so much weight. Like I would say by December, I had gained 70 something pounds. Wow. Yeah. And for me, that's not normal. I know that I can fluctuate weight, but it was just unnormal for me. And I told them that the next time that we went, I said, you know, I'm gaining a lot of weight. I'm breathing kind of heavy, you know, nothing seems super out of the ordinary other than I just gained 70 pounds and I can't breathe a lot, you know, Mm -hmm. and they did my blood pressure. Everything came back normal. I had told them that I have a history of low blood pressure, but they assured me that everything was normal. So I was fine. At the time I was working full time and my job required me to actually travel multiple days at a time, being in a car or at one point even flying. And I asked them, this is what I do for work. Am I okay to continue? Am I okay to go through? And they said, yeah, we'll keep monitoring. You'll be fine. Let us know if anything changes. Anytime I had events to leave this state, I'd let them know. Up until we had an appointment into December, we had that appointment. And they said that they saw what was like a gray spot, like a little gray area over my placenta. They didn't know what it was, but they would just see it next month. And then we would see if it was still there. And if it was, we'd follow up. So they didn't really tell me much about it other than that he thought that it was fine. And we went about our time. And the next month we came before I left for one of my biggest business trips. And he said it was gone. He said he didn't see it anymore, that whatever it was probably fixed itself and everything was good. Everything looked good. She looked good. And we had just been excited because we just found out that it was a girl over the holidays. So it was like, we're preparing. So I told him I'm going on this business trip that I'm flying. I'm going to be fine. He said, yes, you should be fine. You're good. I said, okay. So I went on my trip and I came back. We had an appointment scheduled for the week following Valentine's Day. And it stinks because it was our first Valentine's Day that we got to spend together out with each other. And we had an amazing weekend. Went dancing to come back. And then we go to the doctor's appointment and normal routine. We talk to them. Then we go for an ultrasound. And when we go for an ultrasound, everything's just quiet, normal to me, just quiet. And then she leaves. She says she'll be right back and she leaves. And when she comes back, she has the doctor with her. And she was basically had him tell us that she couldn't find a heartbeat. So instantly I thought, this is a joke. She needs to check again. Because the whole time I feel little movements, you know, you feel rolling or some type of, you, you feel it. So I'm like, I was literally just feeling something this past weekend. Like, what are you, you're tripping. That's my first initial is that you're tripping. Check again. And then we do again. And then, of course, they don't see anything. And then it hits you. And I just start screaming. I'm sure everybody, I think everyone in that office knew who I was after that whole day, just because I didn't necessarily make a scene. But in that room, you heard everything. Like, yeah. Well, it hurts. I mean, you're hurt. Yeah. Emotions are raw. And that's not the news that anybody wants to get. Yeah, I was praying, screaming, just crying to God and just trying to figure out what happened. And we really couldn't get any answers. So afterwards, he told us, be with family. Your body probably hasn't adjusted. But what caught me is that he was like, the demise looks like it's been about three weeks, which would have been right around the time I left for my business trip. 
that kind of stuck with me. But moving past it, we went home to Houston and I was with my family. We ended up getting a second opinion, just seeing another doctor to see if they saw anything. Maybe they missed something in the reports. And upon examination is what we feel like is where I was kind of induced, not on purpose, but when she was examining like any little touches, she was saying I could be induced. So afterwards, I was almost on my way home at the airport and I started going through contractions and ended up having to stay and delivered at home and then just disappeared. I know that's weird to say. I just kind of disappeared. You personally just disappeared. Like, yeah. like just with what was going on emotionally and... From everything. I withdrew from all types of interaction from anybody. If you weren't two feet in front of my face, you probably didn't hear from me. But then very quickly after this, you got pregnant <laughs> with Lazar, right? Yeah. So we went through a period where it was just us. It was just us and we talked about it and we were like, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to move forward from this? And this was one of the things I was telling you. And I said, we're one of those outlier couples. We don't really respond to everything like everybody else. Whereas these situations we find most people would split and they find hardship and things break apart. We chose to move forward together and try again. That's great. Because we didn't want it to end there. We didn't want it to be years before we tried. And then it was traumatic again, once we had finally suppressed all the energies that we felt and we know we wanted a baby and we wanted to try. So we did, we tried again and success. Yeah. I don't think I have any problem getting pregnant. He came and he's here. But then your pregnancy with Lazar had some difficulties too, correct? Yeah. And Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. So when I found out I was pregnant, I was in the hospital every weekend. It was hard. Again, because <laughs> of the hyperemesis, because of the yeah. morning sickness and everything. Yeah. Okay. And emotionally, I'll say on this standpoint, it was scary. I was nervous every single day, every hour. I had a Doppler and was using it before you could even detect heartbeat. I was every hour saying, okay, I need to go lay down and check. And mentally I was abusing myself because I was telling myself that if I didn't check, if I didn't do it, that nobody was gonna do it and that it was gonna be on me this time. I was telling myself, but oh, you gotta make sure that you do everything right. You gotta eat right this time. You gotta go vegan or do the diets, eat the right things, do tea, don't do coffee. Like I changed everything. And still the exact same thing from what we found. They said that at 25, 23 weeks is when my daughter had passed. And 20 weeks, 21, 22 almost, is where we were seeing that he completely had stopped growing and had made no progress in a week's time, wasn't doing anything. So it was like the exact same time frame that things were starting to decline. Did anything feel different with this pregnancy too? Last time you mentioned with, with Naomi, you just felt like something was not right. Did it feel this way with Lazar this time? No, I say no, because the body changes in myself that I would have noticed when I was pregnant with Naomi, how I had gained 70 something pounds and I was getting swollen and I was out of breath. Those were things that I was still combating after because I had just had her. So I hadn't lost a lot of weight before getting pregnant again. 
I didn't start working out or doing anything different. So a lot of the physical was the exact same other than the morning sickness was probably 12 times worse, 12 times worse on every accord. I don't even know how I survived that. It was crazy. So you've got this period, the doctors have identified that Lazar is not growing like he's supposed to. What happens next? So that's when we start talking about what happens if the next visit comes and they take him. They had prepped me a month almost ahead, three weeks ahead before we actually took him. And they had said on that day, this is what you're going to encounter. This is what you're going to go through. These are the people you're going to meet. And this is what's going to happen. These are the possibilities. After every appointment, he was telling me, I'll see you in two days, but just stay hopeful. We just don't know. To let me know the severity of it and to know that the next time if we come back and something was to have happened, we did everything because it was literally two days. I don't think anybody would have signed up for going to the hospital every single day because I was there three times a week. And then on top of that, regular OBGs and then regular doctor's appointments. So it's like we were doing, I felt at that point, everything that we could. So we get to the day where he says, today's the day. We're going to take him and it's going to happen. And do you remember the procedures? And he went through it all again with me, even though I said, yes, I remember. And I didn't even know my son's name until that day. Andre had not chosen his name until that day. So I'm laying in bed getting hooked up, talking to five different nurses. They're trying to find a vein. They're telling me what's going to happen with him. And then I look up and finally I see Lazar Harib McBride on the bulletin. And it was just, at that point, it was like, this is happening. This is real. We're going yeah, through this so. and we're about to have a little boy here. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it is. So let me stop right there and we'll go to the NICU in just a second. But as I've heard you talk about your story with your two pregnancies, one of the things that, that TIPQC is involved in and trying to bring awareness to is a program called Hear Her. Looking back at your experience with your healthcare providers with those two pregnancies, it sounds like there's a point that some things that you were telling your healthcare providers, hey, this isn't right. This isn't right. I just don't feel right with this. Listen to me. It sounds like we could learn something about how to take care of of mamas and, and babies better. What message would you give to healthcare providers? Listen, take everything seriously, no matter how many times you've heard it, no matter how many times you've disproven what the person is saying, take it seriously every time because it's just that one time that you miss that in turn creates devastation. So we're going to put information to this in our podcast notes for people to go to the CDC site and learn more about the Hear Her campaign. For any mothers that are listening to this, there's going to be information on that site, specifically some of the things that Chansey mentioned that was going on with her pregnancy that are some of those cues that women sometimes experience that if you're having the big weight gain, you're having the problems breathing, things that she talked about. That's one of the things that you need to make sure you're mentioning to your healthcare provider. So that information will be made available to everybody. Let's talk about your time in the neonatal intensive care unit, because this is when I first met you. Yes. What was that first 24, 48 hours like? 24, 48 hours, the very first 24 and 48 hours after I had just been C-sectioned, yeah. <laughs> after I had just gone through all of that, and all I wanted to do was see my baby. But as soon as I was cognitively aware, mm -hmm. like, I that's, why I said, that's why I specifically said the first 24, 48 hours, because that sometimes is a blur. And yeah. People remember and, bits and pieces. 
Yeah, it was, I remember the entire thing, even when I was under anesthesia afterwards and I couldn't really think or I just wanted to sleep. I still remember being wheeled into the room, y'all allowing me to actually touch him for the first time with my hands and seeing him before I went and actually rested. What do you remember about the first week? What were the emotions like? It was scary. We went up and down, I think, three times in one week. We went to a point where we were under the blue light trying to get our skin and color correction. And then we went to trying to get off the ventilator and not going very well and getting back on it. And I think there was a point where the spinal tap, that was in the first week, we ended up having to do a spinal tap. And it's like all of these decisions, we would go over every single morning, the x-rays and what you guys found. And you would tell me what was going going on and how the day would go. And then after that, I'd sit there and we'd go through the day. But in those days where it was like, okay, this isn't going too well. This is what it looks like. This is what we recommend. You explained every part of why you recommended what you recommended, which was awesome because I had no idea. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know technical terms. And when we speak like that, it's like, it's going over my head. You made sure that I understood what everything was supposed to look like, what we were trying to work towards. And on the days where it was difficult and I couldn't necessarily make a decision, you gave me all the information I needed to be able to make that decision, to make it easier. So when it came down to him needing a spinal tap and it being, okay, well, we can pull these fluids and it might help his situation and it'll look up. I'm glad we did it because after that, it did. We did start looking up and those problems were getting corrected. When he was going through and had his infection, I feel like that was in the first week as well. It was like all I was praying for was a wet diaper because you don't realize how little of blessings those things are. It's mentally stressful when you go the whole day and you're like, okay, he's only peed once. Come on, dude, like pee a little bit. Or when you haven't had a poop for a week since you've been born and you're trying to get all of that. It was overwhelming, but it showed me who I was. It showed me who I was. It showed me what I was capable of. And by that, I mean, I was able to learn a lot through you guys, through all the doctors. I was able to learn a lot just the more so now I feel like I can walk in there and I can turn on the heating lamp and I know how to turn the little signs off or I can go in there and I know I've watched them do the little thing what is it like the sucking I can go in there and suck and do like I know how to handle the babies that are that small I'm capable of so much more in my head because I was able to overcome something that I was nowhere near so let's talk about the notebook real quick and then I want to get into just talking about some emotions that come with having a baby in the NICU I mentioned the notebook earlier, and for our audience, one of the things that I'll tell parents to do or request that they do when they have a very tiny, sick baby is just get get something that they can write some things down, that they can write their thoughts down, write questions down to the doctors, just things that are happening during the day, because there's so many emotions that you mm-hmm. go through and uncertainty that you go through, and it helps as you've gotten past that event, going through it and helping you process everything that's going on. And I've never had a chance to ask somebody this before. So you're going to be my very first. What did you write in the notebook? Okay. So I had two different notebooks. Let me clarify. I had the notebook that you started me with, the one that you gave us. And at first I was just writing journal entries to Lazar. And that was my therapeutic way of, since I can't hold or touch you, 
I'm going to write to you so you have something to look back on. As I progressed, I realized that I needed a book more so for me. I ordered one off of Amazon. I think it was like 15 bucks. I, I think I actually was gifted it, but it was like 15 bucks we had found. And it was a NICU preemie journey journal. It had daily entries where it would ask you, who were your doctors? What's the weight? What are his blood count? What are his levels today? Did we have anything outstanding? Any progressions, any regressions? Was it a good day or a bad day? What are you thankful for? And I would do it every single day. And it was like, after doing it at the end of January and looking in the middle of February, it's like, we went up and down so many times and I was so upset that day. And then I was so happy that day. And I just remember the first time you did this and you opened your eyes. I remember that day because I wrote it down. And it also helped me with the whole education and learning process of being in the NICU because I was able to write down what his levels were the day before. That way, if the nurse walks in and she's like, I think it was this yesterday. I'm like, well, yeah, it was exactly this, this, this. And she'd be like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I think that was in his chart. I think that's it. I'm like, yeah, because I wrote it down. <laughs> and it, it was helpful. Most of the times I just wrote down, I didn't even write an entry. And I think that's where a lot of the times where I would get stopped in the first journal was I didn't write an entry on some of them. I would just write, it was a great day. We survived. Wow. And that was it because that's all that that day needed. And that's all that was required. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Wow. As we wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about the emotions that moms and dads, Andre, because this is where I'm going to get you in on this, that moms and dads have when they have babies in the NICU. And this is something that over the past few years, we've tried to pay a whole lot more attention to realizing that there is postpartum depression, certainly for the mothers, but also for the dads. According to some recent studies, about a third of all women who have babies in the neonatal intensive care unit will experience postpartum depression or post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. And about 20% of fathers will experience also depression and post-traumatic stress disorder from their baby being in the NICU. I'm going to ask you this because I'm just curious if how you've experienced the studies have also suggested that moms tend to experience this when their baby is actually in the NICU and then dads tend to experience these events after the baby goes home. So Chancey, let me ask you real quickly about your experience and then I want to spend the rest of the time sort of talking to Andre and Talking from a dad's point of view about what it's like to have a baby in the NICU. My experience when we were in the NICU with postpartum compared to outside of it, I could say I experienced postpartum actually outside of it more than I did in. And I feel like what helped a lot was that I utilized everything that was there in the NICU, which made it a lot easier. It made getting into parenthood a lot easier because I was taught everything and I was helped with a lot of things. I was shown how to do things. So for me, my mind was at ease a little bit more being in the NICU because I knew there was not just me, but a bunch of people there for him. I was a little bit easier there than outside. It's scary taking a baby home, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah especially in just for our audience, Lazar went home on oxygen. He was on oxygen for about two months after he went home. So it's, it's, it's scary that first time loading your baby home with your oxygen tank and oxygen in his nose and all the monitors you're going home with and your first night at home. Andre, what about you? What's it like being a 
dad and, <laughs> and having a tiny baby like this in the NICU. I mean, we, we focus so much on the mothers, which is important, very appropriate. We need to do that, but we can't forget that dads are here too. And they're yeah. part of this as well. Tell, tell us about your experience. First of all, let me say thank you for just asking, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> we forget about the dads. That's why I'm asking. I'm a dad yeah. too. So. Yeah, yeah, that's the real thing. It was difficult. So to answer the first question, I think I'm with her. It's, it's kind of a flip for me. I had more issues emotionally with him being there rather than him being at home. And a lot of it was just because of the climate that we were in at the moment. Because like you said, we're a year away from this. And this he was born in December of 2020 during the pandemic and he's in the NICU. So he's in the hospital. I'm working two full-time jobs and one other on the side part-time. And I'm getting off because I'm working at the news station and we have long hours. So we would get home maybe about 11 o'clock that night. So it'll, and, and the hospital closes, there's no entry after eight. So that means that mom's at the hospital and dad is at home and if something's going bad i can't get in she doesn't want to come out so it was a little more difficult because of that but the times that i was able to come in and spend time i would say that we felt secure well, i felt secure i felt comfortable even in the moments of uncertainty just to know that we had people there that really treated him like they were their own for sure we had outstanding nurses but it was definitely different and it was also different a lot of the i would say the which when we talk about ptsd going through the first pregnancy and our first child and, and losing her anytime we hear an ultrasound i'm on edge i think when i just to be able to hear his voice during delivery was like okay we good we can be in NICU as long as we need to as long as he's good as long as we know he's a lot just to have life was enough for me for a while but of course coming home it was even better because i actually got to spend time after work yeah good yeah. yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. You mentioned the sounds that you'll occasionally hear like an ultrasound. Are there, I've had people tell me before certain sounds, smells, will just bring back this flood rush of memories. You're both nodding yeah. your heads. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what do you experience? When does that happen? Like I said, ultrasound, anytime yeah. we're doing something with heartbeats, it's like, yeah. You just immediately it's just like whooshing noises that just instantly triggers. Yeah, that's PTSD symptoms. That's what you're both describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, well, hey, tell everybody how Lazar is doing now. I'm watching him. He's like in your lap. He's asleep right now. But give our audience sort of a little update on how this one pound, one ounce baby who's just over a year old now, how, how he's turning out. He is. Full of energy. Yes. <laughs> like, he, hey, buddy, you're awake again. <laughs> he's all over. I'm grateful that he slept during this. <laughs> but he's actually doing really a lot better than a lot of people anticipated, especially for his size, being that he was so small. We've only gained 10 pounds since being home in nine months almost. Yeah. We've only gained 10 pounds. And so we're about 14 pounds and we're one years old and he's pulling to stand, trying to move around and walk, talking up a storm, 
has his own attitude and personality, the same one that he had when he was in there. I'm so serious. The loud screaming or like the cries that we would hear in the hallway, that would be his. I figured it out. He just likes to talk. He just yeah. wants to talk. That's all yeah, it is. I mean, he yeah. looks great. And I know I saw you just a couple of weeks ago and developmentally, he looks right mm -hmm. on track. So y'all are the reason I do what I do because I love these success stories and seeing a happy family and just, just amazing. So let's wrap this up. I've got one final question for you. I always like to ask this question. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere where people are going into work, they're leaving school, you just get to put some message out there that you want people to know and pay attention to. And what would that be? It would be trust the process. Trust the process. All right. What does that mean to you? You have highs, you have lows, you have ins, you have outs. But if you just trust the process, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. Seriously. Love it. Absolutely love it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your story with our audience on Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. I hope somebody out there will find this an inspiration, somebody that may be going through what you went through a year ago, that they too can trust the process and know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C.org, and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.